This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We're going to get started in Ephesians. Um, kind of where uh, Pastor Josh left off last week. I'm going to take the, this week I'll be preaching um, and teaching from verses 15 through 18. And then Pastor Josh has given me the opportunity to preach again next week. Uh, so I didn't have to cram everything that I wanted to say into uh, one service. And you're glad, right? All God's people said amen to that, right? You'll you actually get to go have lunch. Um, no, I, I don't intend to be long at all, but he wanted me to cover uh, verses 15 through 21, and there's so much there to unpack that I thought maybe would be fitting to give him a couple weeks where he doesn't have to try to study while he's on vacation, and I can be able to cover both Sundays. So I appreciate that opportunity, and I hope that we'll be challenged by God's Word as we get into the Bible this morning. Let's first just do a review, all right? This will kind of help me to get get my nerves past. Maybe you can kind of get used to hearing me on the microphone speaking uh, in this some of you are not used to me being the, the up here preaching before, and so, um, so we'll just get used to that um, getting started. First, in verse 1 in chapter 5, are you there? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. So this is where the title of the, the series comes from. We have, uh, obviously we're in Christ is the whole series of Ephesians, and we've got Ephesians broken into two segments. So the first three chapters, we learned that those first three chapters are, are Paul kind of telling the church of Ephesus that here's the theological study, and this is why we are doing what we do. This is what we believe. This is going to be a foundational letter, an epistle. This is a foundational book for the church. And it wasn't just that this, church, this letter would go to Ephesus, but Ephesus being kind of in a a prime location would take this letter and share it with those other sister churches that were coming up. And so they would learn this, these foundational truths. He does the same thing with the church at Colossae. In the book of Colossians, that letter also is written the same way. It almost, we call it a parallel book because it does the same thing. We'll look at that some later on the, in our text. But it, it parallels some of the same things he's saying to the, the church. But in his letters, many times, he takes the first half of the letter and he says, here's what we believe, here's what you're supposed to do, and then he says, now, let's take a breath for a minute, let's go to chapter 4, it happens in Ephesians, chapter 4, now, let's put it where we live, let's put it into practical application, let's take what we know, what we've learned in chapters 1, 2, and 3, let's apply it to our lives in chapter 4, 5, and 6, we're going to see what does this look like? Being in Christ, okay, we get that. We see the grace of God. We see the love of God. We see all these things that are shed abroad in our heart here in first three chapters. But what does that look like on earth? I mean, I got a head knowledge of it, but now how do I put it into practice? And so that's what he does here in 4, 5, and 6. So chapter 5 is continuing the practical application. He says, first of all, in chapter 4, walk worthy. And then he takes these next chapter or so and says this is how you do that you to walk worthy we're going to get into to walk worthy you need to be imitators 
of God as dear children. So, like father, like son is where that comes from. And so we're trying to act like our Father in heaven. Jesus, the Son, is our example of that. He shows us on earth what it looks like to walk as a child of God. He shows us on earth the pattern that we're supposed to follow to be able to to reach others with the gospel, to be able to love people, to show them God's love. Jesus came to be an example for that, showed us the way, and now we're to walk in that way and walk worthy of that calling as dear children, imitating God. We said in part number one, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, he said, first of all, in chapter, uh, in chapter, chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love. You see it there in verse number 2. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And then he says, walk in holiness, and gives us kind of a, a, uh, an ex- example here showing us what that looks like where he says that, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. And goes on to continue to talk about this filthiness and this lewdness. It shouldn't be a part of your life. You're to be walking, to be walking worthy. You're going to walk in love and you're going to be walking in holiness. Then he says, uh, we talked about walking in discernment. In verses 6 and 7, let no one deceive you with empty words. Discern. Having discernment to know what is good, what is right, what is just, where, being, being discerning to know where the lies are and the, the tricks that the devil has for us, those places where we could stumble. Then we said in part two, last week, Josh came through and talked about verse number eight and said, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So, because that's true, walk as children of light. We said walk in light. The gospel turns the light on. The gospel transforms our living. And the gospel trains us to be set apart. To have that holy life. First must have an experience with the gospel. We understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that we've accepted him. That he is in us. As Christians. As those that love God, lovers of God, dear children, imitating Him. He's the one that we're looking to. He's the one that we're trying to emulate. We want to we show His worth. So in worship, worship we're trying to show His worth. Our obedience to the Word of God shows Him His worth. It's not falling on deaf ears. It's not falling on a closed or hardened heart, but that we, our hearts are open and we want to show them our worth so we obey every command and every impulse that the Spirit of God living in our lives gives us. This then brings us to verses 15 through 18, and this will be our text for today. So, would you look at these four verses? We'll have a word of prayer and then we'll get right in. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you how it is so applicable to our lives, that we would take the principles and truths that we talk about and that we would rejoice in them, 
First and foremost, knowing that, uh, that you are living in us and that we have the power to accomplish what you would have us to do in this life. But also, Father, may we buckle down. May we put uh, uh, our tires to the road. And may we uh, work out that salvation, doing what you can accomplish in our lives, giving ourselves completely over to you, knowing that we can only live the Christ life, the Christian life, if you live it out through us. And so be in us. Use us, change us, challenge us by your word, and use this time as we spend together in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I want to draw our attention back to the context of the book of Ephesians, just understanding that Paul's letter here is he's saying to this church, he's talking to a group of Christians. And as he talks to them and tells them that what the saints are supposed to know with their mind, I've told you already, I've taught you already what you're supposed to know in your mind. Now, this is how you're going to use what you know. He says, that we're to walk worthy. I, therefore, in, ver- in chapter 4, and verse number 1, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy. How are we, how are we going to do this? Well, continuing that same thought, now we get to this ver- verse number 15. Look what it says. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom, he says here. Now, I want us to understand what the Bible's saying here. Maybe it would make it a little clearer if we said this, that he says in this passage, see then that you walk circumspectly, that that phrase, that you walk, is not necessarily, if I, maybe I could use it in a different way and say, see how you walk. See how carefully you walk. They're saying that this is a manner in which you walk. The, the carefulness, how careful you are. So he says here, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So that it's not just a, a matter of fact that, see that you do this. Now this is the, you're kind of your mom waving, wagging your finger in your face. Now make sure you do this. But rather he's saying, understand how. Look carefully. The word circumspectly, it has with it the idea of looking around, like in a circle or circumference. So he says, I want you to look circumspectly. You're looking around all the time. That is why we, ha- we wear the, the armor of God. We're protected all around. That's we're walking circumspectly, how we walk. Look carefully then how you walk. Carefully, circumspectly, looking all around, making sure I'm, I know of all of the dangers. I know of all that's going around, on around me. That's walking in wisdom. Uh, Paul understood, I think he had a clear understanding of what the Proverbs said, and understanding that a, how a fool lives versus how a wise son lives. And we, we, we won't go through the Proverbs now, but over and over again we find that the fool rejects his father's instruction. The fool won't listen to his, his mother and, and her correction. And we see that the wise son will listen and will obey. And so the wise son loves correction. Now, anybody in here love to be corrected? Well, not necessarily in that context, you know. 
But the idea is that we don't, we don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be out of line with God. I didn't ever want to be out of line with my dad. Did I get out of line with my dad? Yeah. He quickly got me back in line. All right, that was his job. But as a son, my job as a son, if I'm as a dear child to imitate God, to imitate Jesus Christ, Jesus, though he was God in the flesh, was not trying to make himself known. He was trying to point people to God. He was trying to be that light. He was trying to say that this is, I'm the son. My job here, I'm, I'm pointing you back to him. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, how can we do that if we are constantly uh, having to be scolded or corrected or ignoring instruction? Walk in wisdom, carefully looking around us as a wise son. The, the, I love that there's so many parallels, there's so many contracts that, contrasts that Paul makes here in the book of Ephesians. But here he says, not as unwise, but as wise. We'll look at how that plays out into the passage here in our context, but notice how he's contrasting the two. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, you don't have to turn there, but I want to read this passage to you to understand what is this, this circumspect life? What does it look like? This life that's looking around, can I, can I help you understand that as a wise person, as a wise son, and not as a fool, not as unwise, it is an observable life. It's a life that others can observe. It can be seen by other people. Look what, look what he says here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, this wreath that they would wear on their head. But we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, somebody who's boxing and just punching at the air. Nothing's going to accomplish there. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Other text it says to be a castaway, to be, to be cast aside. That in this life, there are others, it is an observable life. And as, I, as a wise son, now understand the whole context as a wise son, I want, to, I want to so follow, I want to so obey that I am looking around to make sure that there's nothing that I'm going to get into or that's going to come at me that will, that will cause me to be a castaway, somebody that's cast aside or disqualified. As temptations come, as problems come, as discouragement comes, despondency, things that happen in my life that maybe are of, of no fault of my own but have happened to me, and now they're a cross that I bear. How am I going to live my life? I, I'm not going to say that, that it's always going to be easy. Or that it's always going to be roses and, and a simple road. And you're going, to, you're going to, it's always going to be right there in front of you. You're going to know what's coming before it happens. We're not given those promises. 
We do understand this, though, that we are given a command that we're to walk looking around how carefully we are about what's going on. We're not going through this life flippantly, carelessly, carefree, without any, any worry, any, any concern about our life lived before this world, our life lived before our family. I, I've often said that, that, that we may be the only Bible that somebody else reads. The truth is that you may be the only, the only um, touch that somebody has, the only uh, contact that somebody has with Jesus Christ. Is it me that they see, or is it him? Paul made it very clear when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. As I walk in this life, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Christ died, was buried, and we see him no more. Raised to life, and we see him no more. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So see how carefully you walk. Do you know that it's impossible? It is impossible for you and I to live the Christian life. It's impossible. Do you know who has to live the Christian life? Like I said in my prayer, Christ has to live the Christ life. He cannot live that if you and I are in the way. We must get out of the way. We must be walking carefully, being led by Him. This requires a sense of discipline, but I discipline my body, Paul said, and I bring it into subjection. He even talked about that every thought is brought into subjection under Christ. We have this idea of discipline and self-control. A wise man lives a life of discipline and self-control while the foolish man is undisciplined, never taking heed to caution or counsel. The fool fights as one who beats the air. Nothing getting accomplished. Maybe it's all for show. What Can people see me? You see what I'm accomplishing? But that's one who's fighting the air. It must be Christ in us. Then he also gets a little bit more, maybe down to the nitty-gritty here, and says that there's also the idea of not just this, this living as wise and, and how you're walking, but also making good use of your time. This idea of good time management is a spiritual thing. Making good use of our time because the days are evil. Examining our lives. Examine your life and find out what has become important to you. What are your priorities? Now, I'm not, I don't mean what's on your list of priorities. I mean what really gets done. How many of you have ever made a list and you didn't get to check off anything on that list. Anybody? Am I the only one, right? <laughs> Why? The things that were our priorities 
or on that, that we thought were on our paper, other things became the priority. This, this is true in our, in our priorities. What maybe needs to happen is a reprioritize. We need to reprioritize. Walk in wisdom toward those that are outside or outsiders redeeming the time, Colossians 4, 5 says. You see, Paul makes a parallel in Colossians to the book of Ephesians, and he gives the same truth here to the, to the church at Colossae and says to them, walk in wisdom. So he's paralleling to them, walk in wisdom toward those th- things who are outside. Those who are outside, what is this, or those that are outsiders. Those that are not in the church. Those that are not in Christ. Walk in wisdom. Why is he saying this? Say, so, well, I don't, be, I don't believe that, that the church, we're not supposed to be, um, we're, not, we're not supposed to be seen, or we're not supposed to, uh, people aren't supposed to observe our lives. And, and you know, that's, I think it's directly in, in uh, the opposite in Scripture. I do believe that we are to be an example. We're to be an example to non-believers of what Christ can do. We're to be who Christ is. If Jesus came and was the example for us, don't you think that he expects us to be the example for others? Living a disciplined life, a self-controlled or spirit-controlled life before the world, that Jesus said that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify God. So, See how carefully you walk. Because people are watching you. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's where we take all of grace that we love to bask in. And I think we should. So we take all of grace and we say, Now, in my life, Christ, be glorified. God, all that you did for me, chapters 1, 2, and 3, all that you did for me and all that it means, your love and your mercy, all that we took in, that unity that we find in the church, we take all of that and now we live it before the world so they may see Christ. Not so they see us over here fighting the air. We want everyone to see us. But we're living a humble life before the world, so that people would see Christ. And so the the question begs me, I ask myself, do others see Jesus? Can they see Jesus? More than that, can my wife see Jesus? She's with me all the time. Can my kids See Jesus. It's a great test for each one of us, isn't it? That others see Jesus in us. So we understand this truth that we are walking in wisdom. And that we are looking carefully how we walk. But he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
Walk in wisdom toward those who are outsiders, redeeming the time. How do we do that? How do we redeem the time? We redeem the time by, by we've already set priorities in our lives. But what I think needs to happen in the, in, in the Christian life, in my life, in your life, my admonition, the way we carry this out and the way that we are able to walk in wisdom and redeem the time is to reprioritize. Go back. In light of Scripture, go back and find out what needs to come first. Therefore, he says, moving on, therefore, verse number 17, do not be unwise. Again, he says, Therefore, redeem the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand that what the will of the Lord is. So we see, number two, we're going to walk in wisdom, but also we're going to walk in the will of God. Now, I, I grew up in church, and I went to church camps, and I went to youth conferences, and I w- was in junior churches, and I always heard this thing about the will of God, and, and I thought, thought, boy, if I'm not careful, I, and maybe you've heard it before as well, a preacher would maybe say, if you're not careful, you'll miss the will of God for your life. Well, I, I don't know, where, where should I be waiting so I don't miss it? It's like it's a train that's going to go by, and if I'm not there, I'll miss it. Or if there's a bus, I'm not this, the bus stop, I'm going to miss it. The will of God is pulled up, and it's parked there, and if I don't get there, if I'm not waiting for it, I'm going to miss the will of God. And I say that that really doesn't fit the context of what we find in Scripture. We find that the will of God is, a, is, is real. I, I have as an opinion about what the will of God is from Scripture. I think when the Bible is talking about the will of God, I think it's talking about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's the will of God. We find in Scripture here, look, look what the Bible says. We're, we're, we're walking in the will of God. In the simplest form, we have two different ways to know the will of God. And I'll start here. We have the written will of God. I think His Word. It shows us. Nothing is the will of God that is not in accordance with the Word of God. You agree? If it goes against the Scripture, it can't be the will of God, right? So, we have the written word of, will of God. Then we have the revealed, or some even would call it the secret will of God. I, I like calling it the revealed. I think it's more he wants us to know it. It's not necessarily a secret. But maybe it's only something that he's revealing to you for your life. If, uh, unless he was in the scripture saying that we want all people, all Christians are to be preachers in the pulpit. Well, then who is going to sit in the seat, right? So we have, a, we have a will that maybe God is saying it's for you is this and for you is this. And so we have this will that's written in the word of God. It's hard, fast. And then we have that revealed will of God. What he, what he's speaking to your heart and what he wants to accomplish in your life. The revealed or secret will of God, it's how we accomplish. This is my pocket definition for you. But it's how we accomplish the will of God. What I call the will of God that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate will is that we be saved, that we know Jesus Christ. That's his will. God is not willing that any should perish, but what is he willing? That all should come to repentance. 
His will is that we all believe, that we all come to know Him. So we have His will, but then that revealed one, that one that He tells us, that's how He's going to accomplish the main will. He's going to use each one of us in different ways, using the gifts that He's given to us and all those things to make sure that we have what we need to be able to accomplish His will in our lives. So, I accomplish, I, I, I come to a couple of conclusions based on verse 17. Based on verse 17, I see that he says in verse number 17, uh, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what I come to a conclusion first, God, our, God's will is knowable. I can know it. It's not mystical. It's not something that we're going to miss. But I can know the will of God. I find that in verse 17. You would agree, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There is no command given to me in Scripture that I cannot have the power to accomplish. There, God has given us the power to be able to accomplish what His commands are. And so I can know. That's what I find out from verse 17. But also, secondly, God expects us to seek it out. He expects us to find out what His will, what He wants to accomplish. And maybe more than just seeking it out, but maybe I could say it this way, God expects each one of us to be willing to do what He wants us to do. It's, it, what helped me as a young person, what helped me to understand that I wasn't going to miss, what, what if I don't ask the right girl? You know, what if it's not that, what, what if I, I'm going to miss the will of God if I ask the wrong girl? Well, I was so worried about God's will and missing God's will and what God would have me to do with my life. But what helped me is this truth. I one day realized God wants me to know his will more than I want to know it. He wants you, Christian, he wants you to know his will, and he wants you to do his will more than you've ever desired or prayed to know his will. Can we rest in that? Can we rest knowing he wants, he wants me to know it, and if I want to know it, I just have to be willing to do what it is he wants me to do. So what is the will of God? He says in verse 17, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Therefore, do not be unwise. Understand the will of God. Do the will of God. Don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. Do what he says. Being imitators of God. Walking worthy. How do I do that? I'm walking in wisdom. I'm walking in the will of God. The will of God, quite possibly, is what John recorded in his gospel. Believe on him whom God has sent. John 17, 3. Not some mystical, spooky idea that you might miss if you're not paying close enough attention. God wants us to know his will. And, and more than even you and I do. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4 says... 
For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God's will is to believe in Him. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So the will of God I find here, morally live differently from the world. The will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, if you continue there, he says, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. More specific, he even pointed out, for you, God's will is for you to be thankful in everything. 1 Peter 2.15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know what he's saying? Have a visible, observable testimony in your life. That others would see your good works and they would glorify God. Can I tell you, church, our time that we spend together from the Scripture is to be about Jesus Christ. That's what the Gospel is about. That's why the Spirit of God was given. The Spirit of God was given, not that He would speak the things of Himself. The Spirit of God was given that He might point us to Jesus Christ. That we might be focused on Him. That that Jesus Christ in our lives, He might be seen by all men. And others would glorify God because of that. Then, thirdly, Walk in the Spirit. You see it there very plainly in verse number 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Next week we're going to get into what all that means and what all the makeup behind it is. I can't wait. It talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I love getting to talk about music and how how it affects the Christian and the church. But, but there's several things that he goes into. We'll talk about those next week. But here he says, this word dissipation, what does this mean here? And in different, different versions, it may say uh, uh, debauchery. It says excess. What does this mean? What is he saying here? Be not drunk with wine. And why in the world does he use a, a compare and contrast here? Like wise and fool, I get that. That's wisdom and foolishness. But why is he talking about being drunk and being filled with the Spirit? What's, what, these seem like they're, they're not, even, not even close to the right comparison. And so it begs us to go into deeper study to find out what does he mean here? Why is he comparing these two? We're going to get into it some. This carries with it the idea that those who make it their habit to get drunk in this passage here... Paul is referring to those that get drunk, is he not? And be not drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. This is what um, one one commentator I read said this. It is um, the idea that those who make it their habit to get drunk waste their sources to gratify their own sensual desires. A drunk person lacks understanding and control. Thus, in the context, when we're talking about disciplined self-control, walking in wisdom, looking around, being careful and cautious about what's going on around you and how you walk in this life. So as he teaches us that, 
He says, so let me, let me just help you understand even further. Be not drunk with wine where it's an excess or where it's dissipation or this debauchery. A drunk person lacks the understanding and of self-control. Thus, in the context, Paul instructs believers not to be drunk with wine, which causes unrestrained, dissolute living, leading only to ruin. That's just a quote from one commentator talking about this particular passage. He's saying that somebody who is drunk does not have the senses keen senses to to be able to obey the scripture to walk circumspectly to understand what's going around what's going on around them the word dissipation in this translation literally means the closest and truest to the text and that that word where, where some would say it's debauchery, some would say it's excess, and other words used there to say what being drunk with wine is. This word dissipation keeps in context with what Paul is writing. Because the word in this translation, in the context, has, um, as it has at the core of its definition, the opposite of being wise. Dissipation carries with it in its definition the idea of being the opposite of wise. So we see all that he's saying here in comparison and contrast. He's saying walk as wise, not as fool, and know the will of God by not being unwise. Then he says, and don't be drunk with wine where is foolishness. Not being wise. I, I think it's funny as I look at this passage. I always, when I, when it, if you've read in the book of Acts, we see that the power came to the, the church, those Christians in chapter 1. They received power. And then in chapter 2, we find that they have cloven tongues of fire on their heads. And the, a rushing wind comes through. And they're, they're all in that room. And then they go out to, to preach. And, and they begin to speak. And they're speaking in the tongues. Of people, this is, this is Jerusalem. And there's people from all other societies there in all different languages. They begin to speak. And they're in different languages. And the locals there look at them and say, this is, this is absurd. The Bible says that it was in the third hour of the day. The Jewish day starts at 6. So this would be like 9 o'clock in the morning. And they began to preach maybe in the, the town square in, in the city of Jerusalem. And after they, they finished preaching and everyone's hearing it in their own tongue, you can imagine all the, the noise of the Christians speaking and proclaiming what Peter is preaching. And as Peter's preaching, they're all being able to say it in the different languages for everyone to be able to understand. This power that fell. And so the locals are standing beside and saying, this is unbelievable what's happened right here that 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 peter must be drunk so they accuse him of being full the way the bible says it says that he must be full of the new wine or drunk peter's response always strikes me and causes me to laugh a little bit as i read through it when peter says this these are not drunk as you suppose being it only the third hour of the day 
So it was like, it's 9 o'clock. We're not drunk. I'm like, it's 7 o'clock. We might be, might be a different story, but... I think it's pretty funny, though, that, that here he says, ah, we're not drunk. It's the, middle of the, it's the beginning of the day. So understanding the, the, what the Scripture is talking about here, he's saying that being drunk with wine, where, where my senses are, are skewed, where I can't obey Scripture... May I also say that here in this passage, we're not talking about a one-time event of being filled with the Spirit. And what I believe the, the compare and contrast between the two here, don't be drunk with wine, whereas dissipation, foolishness, but be filled with the Spirit. Do you know that you can drink and not be drunk? You can drink again and again and again and again, and you can get drunk. Do you know that once the liver has time to do its job, you're not drunk anymore. You sober up, right? The comparison here is that being spirit-filled is not a one-time thing that happened when you got saved. But it is in, and it's not in the major events of life come to church and we all sang worship together and we were spirit-filled and we walked out of the room and we were all spirit-filled the rest of our lives. No, Monday at 7.30 took place and somebody cut you off on the way to work and we had to go back through this spirit-filling again. Because, can I, can I use maybe in just a very crude matter of saying, it wore off. You know why? I need to get back to him again. Because being the spirit-filled life is not something that takes place and, and then you have, to, has to be, you have to be filled again and then filled again and filled again and filled again. Uh, or, or one time forever. But the spirit-filled life is something you have to go back and over and over again. It's in the mundane, daily, every day. That I'm, I must yield to his spirit. I must yield to the leading of the Spirit of God in my life, letting Him, allowing Him, intentionally going to Him, spending time with Him, being in His Word, in a spirit of prayer, talking to the Father all day long, not just in the closet before I left the house. Because, I don't know about you, but three hours down the road and I've forgotten some of what I just read that morning in my, my devotions. It's a constant. It's a constant. I wonder if this morning, I'm not sure what applies so much specifically to you, but may I say this, that if you're searching for the will of God, it's, it's in His written word. Obey the written word, will of God. And that, that specific thing, especially a young person, that specific thing, God is going to lead you. God is going to guide you. He wants you to know his will. Rest in him. We are in Christ. But may it be Christ who is seen and not us. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. 
please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.